something with you about a song that we all know and love. It's July, right? So sometimes we celebrate Christmas in July, right? So we're going to sing what is traditionally known as a Christmas song, but it actually wasn't written as such. It's a joy to the world, and it's based on the Psalms of David, written by Isaac Watts, a hymn writer. So anyway, he had no intention of creating a Christmas carol, but So he wrote it in 1719, and then another guy in 1836, Lowell Mason, composed a melody for the second part of the song. So this is based on Psalm 98. So let's stand together and sing Joy to the World. It's always a good time to sing about the Lord coming the first time and his future coming back. I want to say a couple of things. First of all, um, if you are here in person and you have a bulletin, there is an extra additional flap on the bulletin. It opens up in several different ways, but if you're part of our regular church family, that is for you. If you're not part of our church family, that's for you. Uh, If you want to let us know who you are as a visitor or a guest for the very first time, that would be the place to do it, and then you fill it out and then put it in the offering box, which is on the welcome table as you leave. And if you're part of a regular church family, you have something you want us to communicate to us, you have a prayer request or something that you need, uh, that would be an opportunity for you to fill that out and tear it off and put it in the offering box as well. Just wanted to let you know that. We have a few announcements. First of all, we have the last of our summer series on, uh, you know, uh, what we believe is coming up this Wednesday night. And so we'll have a presentation on the the person and work of Jesus. So that uh, we're looking forward to that. And then the following Wednesday... Uh, we have an all-church prayer night, so invite you to come and join us to pray uh, for the things. Obviously, we as individuals need prayer, our church needs prayer, our world needs prayer, and our country needs prayer. So we invite you to join us for that, and then we'll take a break in the month of August until the last week of August, so there won't be any Wednesday activities here in August until the last week of August, okay? Uh, we have a couple of uh, new additions to the, the Creekside Church family. Uh, most recently, as uh, early as this week. So uh, you're going to see a couple of pictures up here. Uh, congratulations to the Burtons on uh, the, the birth of that young boy, uh, Jason Bowman. Uh, I'm told he's going to be referred to as Bo. So that's, uh, you're going to, um, so, Bo. Uh, and then we have another addition to the church, Creekside family, a uh, new couple to our church, the Runnels. They welcomed Randall. Uh, Randy, going to be known as Randy, Freddie, Sally, and Randy. Okay, so great. Praise God for that. We're thankful for that. I'm going to ask you to uh, join me as we uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we give you praise for the additions that you bring uh, to the the church body. We thank you for these little precious ones. As you have said in your word, uh, the, the fruit of the womb is a reward. 
and we just thank you for that, and we celebrate with the families. Pray for your continued grace and strength uh, for moms and, and dads and everybody else involved, that you'd give them grace to march through this and to be encouraged in it. Lord, I come to you, and I pray uh, for us as people. We come this morning gathered from various places with various things on our mind and various things in our hearts, and we pray in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the corruption of the world in which we live, that you'd meet us here, and that your word would speak to our hearts in a way that you know we need to hear it. I pray that you would take whatever it is that comes out of my mouth and that you would uh, use it as you see fit for your glory, that it would be interpreted in the way that it needs to be by the people who hear it. And I pray, dear Father, that with humility and with awe and with anticipation, we would look to your word to guide us, direct us, and encourage us. And I pray, dear Father, wherever throughout the, the, the metro area, wherever throughout the world the gospel goes forth, that you would fulfill your promise that your word of God would not come back forth without accomplishing that for which you sent it. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I may have shared this in some way, shape, or form in the, uh, with you before, but I can remember vividly as a college student listening to a, a friend of mine, a, man, a guy that I knew. I'm sitting there in the audience, and a friend of mine who had been on a mission trip uh, to Africa was sharing this experience. He said, we and a, a group of us, we were privileged to, to go out into the bush, and we were standing there watching as the Maasai warriors were uh, jumping up and down and chanting. They had all their war paint on. They were raising a ruckus, and we're standing there. We came upon them just kind of by accident, and we're looking at what's going on, and we're just kind of like, what have we come into the presence of. And then, they're standing there, a group of uh, foreigners, and the Maasai warriors come dancing up to them, carrying their spears. And uh, if you know anything, the Maasai are very tall people. This guy is a really rather large man himself, but not everybody is. And these like six foot five, seven foot uh, people carrying their spears with their war paint on who've just been dancing about going into war come up to them and the translator says, they, they say something and this is what the translator said, you're dead men. And my friend is going, we're going to die. You know, that's what he's thinking, we're going to die. And then the translator saw the look on their face and says, no, 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 no. They, meant, they, they mean that by your silence and by your stoicism and by your so, sobriety there, you, you look like you're dead. <sighs> okay, so we just look like we're dead. We're not going to die. All right. So that was a relief. And I, I share that because in, in, in Maybe that's an extreme case, but we all, we all face some, some trials in our life. We all face troubles in, in our life. And we face, sometimes it's a relational trouble or a struggle, you know. We're, we're betrayed by somebody. Or someone rejects us. Or we're, you know, in isolation. Sometimes it's a, a trouble from a, a, a sorrow, a sadness, an accident, or something that we can't foresee. Sometimes it's medical. We have these issues that uh, come up to in, in, in our lives. Uh, just last night, I had to do a toenail extraction uh, from my daughter. Uh, she had peeled back her, her toenail in an accident, and so I had the, the fortune of grabbing her toe and yanking that thing off, you know. Uh, that was not fun. Uh, and believe me, I had instructions. My brother-in-law is a medical doctor, so he was on the phone telling me what I had to do. So it's kind of like surgery uh, by uh, uh, vicarious surgery. Um, and so these are troubles that we face, and sometimes those troubles are potentially lethal, but almost all the time they're painful. And as we left our main man in the study of the book of Samuel, David, last week, he was fleeing for his life from Saul. That's 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42, right? And he said goodbye, and he was in real and present danger. And what we find out now in chapter 21 is that he experiences real and present deliverance. 
And so as we enter into 1 Samuel chapter 21, we, we see God's activity that ensured David's sustenance and safety proves that God is trustworthy. And he's trustworthy in the face of trouble, not only for David, the Lord's anointed, but for those of us who are the Lord's adopted. The Lord is to be trusted in all of our troubles. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And if you have your phone, you have it on your phone, or if you want to reach down under the seat in front of you, there should be a Bible there somewhere. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, so some of you have different versions. So if it says something a little differently, uh, hopefully we'll try to tease it out, but it, it shouldn't be too deviating from uh, what, what we're going to try to say. So here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Then David came to Nob. To Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am I'm sending you, which I have commissioned, which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Verse three. Now therefore, what? Do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, uh, There's no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest and said, Surely women have been kept from us uh, as previously when I set out, and the vessels on the, on the, of the young men were holy. Though it was ordinary journey, how much more then today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Now, one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. And David said to Ahimelech, Now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. Then the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there's no other except it here. And David said, There's none like it. Give it to me. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Akish, I'm going to say Akish, that's the, you know, the, said to him, is, is this not David, the king of the land? Did, didn't they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and greatly feared Akish, king of Gath. And he disguised his many his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. Then Akish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman? <laughs> Why would you bring him to me? Uh, do, I not, do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? There's a lot here in these uh, short few verses, but uh, as I look at the text, it seems to me that we're given three reasons for trusting God to provide for and to protect us in the face of trouble, modeled for us and teased out for us in the life of the Lord's anointed David. And the first is that God provides for our sustenance. And when I say sustenance, I'm not just talking about food, although that's the primary focus of the text. In verses 1 through 6, David came fleeing for his life to Nob. Nob, as we learn in chapter 22, verse 19, is, is called the city of priests. So it's known for its priestliness, not any other reason. Ahimelech, the priest of Nob, uh, greeted David, and the text says he was trembling. This calls to mind chapter 16, verse 14, where the prophet Samuel came into Bethlehem and the elders of the city met him trembling because they're like, whoa, what's, what occasion is so important that this person's here? Well, David is a very well-known warrior. I mean, he's a, a man who's a, a soldier. And he's also the king's son-in-law. 
And so the people were uh, a bit afraid of what's going on. So just imagine, you know, the FBI shows up at your door. You're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. This is kind of freaking me out. Well, uh, Ahimelech's like, what is he doing here? And so someone of David's importance would, would not show up on his own. Okay, this just wouldn't be common for somebody of David's significance. And so Ahimelech asked him, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And so if you look at, look at verse 2, it says that, And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter, and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you, and with which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Okay, that's just not true. Okay. <laughs> I mean, at least there's nothing in the text to indicate that that's true. So, but without condoning David's method, we're simply, as we looked at, I think, last week, we're simply given David's message. So the text is not condoning the fact that David is not telling the whole truth because David's fleeing for his life. The last scene we had was him with Jonathan, and Jonathan told him, Dad's out to get you. Saul's after you. So he's out of there. And so we're not condoning, we're just communicating what happened. We can only speculate as to why David uh, might be somewhat deceiving. And here are a couple of thoughts that I have, and I think there's merit in, in this understanding. I mean, first of all, David could just be scared out of his wits and lose his uh, sanctity and just be trying to save his skin. Uh, he's just, I'm just telling a lie because that's the most expedient thing to do at the moment. We know David is not a saint in the sense that he always does what's perfect. He's a fallen human being just like us. That's part of the joy and glory of redemption is that God uses imperfect people like us for his glory. But secondly, uh, I, I thought about this. We find out that Doeg is there. This guy by the name of Doeg. Don't, I, I wouldn't recommend naming your kid Doeg. Uh, but Doeg was there. And we find this out in, in chapter 21, verse 7, but also in chapter 22, which we'll look at next week in more detail. And perhaps he's a servant of Saul. And David knows who Doeg is. And so likely, or possibly, I should say, that David wants to disguise the truth of why he's there. To provide, and here's a lawyer term, plausible deniability. You see, if David doesn't tell Ahimelech why he's there, if he doesn't tell him what he's doing, and he doesn't tell him where he's going, then anybody can come along and Ahimelech can truthfully say, I don't know. And there's no legitimate way that Ahimelech could be accused of aiding and abetting an enemy to King Saul. So plausible deniability. He doesn't know what's going on. He's honest. He could, he could legitimately get by with not being implicated in helping the enemy of the king, the sitting king, Saul. All right? So haste to carry out the mission. David says, oh, you got any food here? I'm hungry. And the guys are hungry too. And we have no reason to doubt the second part of his statement that he kept the boys in some other location, non-disclosed location, uh, that he had some people with him. And he's asking for food. And they're not really picky. They're just hungry. So whatever you have. And Himblick answers, well, well, we don't have any ordinary bread like, you know, you and I would eat. We only have this sanctified, consecrated bread. And that's all, that's all that we have with us. According to Leviticus, uh, chapter 24, verses 5 through 9, there were 12 cakes of bread that the priests would bake and put hot before on the table of showbread, which would be in the, the tabernacle or later on in the temple, it would be before the presence of the Lord as a sacrifice to the Lord. Not that it would be consumed by anybody but the priest. It was reserved only. Only when they replaced the showbread with hot bread, warm bread, then they would take it and then they, they could consume it. So it was only restricted for them. There are 12 loaves uh, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay. And so once David assured him that... You know, the boys, are, the boys are ceremonially clean, okay? Everybody's good to go. I mean, we're, we're always good to go when we go out on a mission, and this is even more so because this is a special thing. So they're ceremonially unclean, meaning and so that Ahimelech gave him the consecrated bread. This was bread only reserved for the priests. 
Now, I think this incident, well, this incident has relevance because what we see here is Ahimelech considered the moral obligation to feed the hungry boys, men, of greater importance than the ceremonial law. So compassion was more important than ceremony. Doing the right thing was more important than the ritual. And it's this very story that Jesus refers to in Matthew chapter 12 and other parallel gospels, but I want you to look at Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 7. Yeah. Don't have it? Okay. Yeah, here it is. But if you had known what this means, so the, the story is Jesus and the disciples are out on, on, on the Sabbath day and they're hungry and the, the boys are, the boys, when I mean that, the disciples are, are taking heads of grain and they're taking the head of grain and stripping out the, 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 the food, the grain, and eating it on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees catch them and say, what are you doing on the Sabbath? It's forbidden to eat, uh, you know, to do work on the Sabbath. And so Jesus says, but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion rather than sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. That's what Jesus says. And there Jesus is quoting, he goes on to quote Hosea 6.6 6 in the next verse. He says, for the Lord desires, and uh, actually Jesus quotes it, compassion rather than sacrifice but if you go back to and he's using the the master or the, the masoretic text uh, translation of that word compassion because in one sometimes it's labeled steadfast love in Hosea 6 6 sometimes it's tra- translated steadfast love but the masoretic text translates it as compassion so Jesus is saying if you would know what this means I desire compassion rather than sacrifice and he alludes to the story of David he says haven't you heard about what David did when he was fleeing from Saul, he went into Ahimelech the priest and he asked for the, the bread and they gave him the consecrated bread because Ahimelech declared David innocent by virtue of the fact that he put compassion above ceremony, which the Pharisees weren't willing to do. They weren't willing. God's heart is for compassion rather than some ceremonial law. And what God expected of, or what we see incarnated in Ahimelech and what Jesus expected of the Pharisees, compassion rather than ceremony, he expects of us too. He desires compassion rather than ceremonial law, ritual. Now, he's not saying you can have compassion and, uh, and, and, not, and, and so that gives you an excuse for uh, violating the moral laws. No, this is ceremonial law. So for example, uh, we had just moved here in May of 2018. And in July of 2018, we had like one of the worst downpour floods in, in the history of, you know, whatever, <laughs> of floods. Now, it wasn't the worst flood necessarily, but it, the, the, we had like eight or ten inches of rain in an hour and a half. I mean, and people's basements filled up with water and flooded. And, on, and this was on Saturday night, I remember, because I didn't go to bed till like 2.30 in the morning. I was tearing stuff upstairs and putting stuff up on blocks in the basement, thinking that the, the, the creek outside our home is going to be, you know, like we're going to be part of the creek. The next day, some of you weren't in church because you were helping family and friends who had either downed trees or, 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 you know, from the storm, or you had uh, water in basements and you were hauling out stuff and helping them dry out. Now, should you have been in church? Should people have condemned you for not being in church? Or is compassion more important than sacrifice? more important than ritual observance. I would say, if you were out helping somebody, bless your heart. It, you know, it, the scripture says, and Jesus quotes it, if your ox falls in the ditch on the Sabbath, you get your ox out of the ditch. All you got to do is tell the, the naysayers, there was a few oxes in the ditch and we were just getting them out. So chill out. We need to think about what God's heart is. His heart is for compassion rather than just all observing, all of us can point fingers and say this is legalistic and you need to do this, 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 and this. But are we willing to do what really is at God's heart? And that's the issue at stake for 
Ahimelech, it was the issue at stake for Jesus and the Pharisees in, in Jesus' day. It's the issue at stake for us as well, to show compassion. And rather than be ritualistic, legalistic, it, it, it's priority. It's a priority, a priority to adopt compassion rather than ritual, rather than ceremony, okay? And then there's a, 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 there's a priority. Then there's a principle to accept. God used Ahimelech, his spiritual and sacrificial sacrifice, his spiritual, putting compassion above ceremony, and his sacrificial, look, who was supposed to eat that bread? Ahimelech and the boys, uh, the, the priestly boys. But he gave it up. So there was a sacrifice there. And he, those things illustrate God's provision for David. That's how God provides. He uses other people to provide for our needs and for other people's needs. God is a good and gracious God. Evident, God is dependable for providing what we need when we need it. It might be food. It might be shelter. It might be clothes. It might be wisdom. We receive our daily needs, and I think it's important. We receive our daily needs not because we're good, but because God is. God is not Santa Claus. You know, since we're on this Christmas thing. God is not Santa Claus. He's, he's writing down whether you've been naughty or nice, and then if you've been good, you get the toys. No. We don't get what we need because we're good. We get what we need because God is good. The second reason that we see in the text that uh, we can trust God is found in the, the fact that God procures our defense. In, in, in verse 7, we're introduced to Doeg, and it's kind of like, what? I mean, as you read through this text, like, where, why, do, why is verse 7 even in there? I mean, we get this Doeg guy who was, but it's not accidental. I mean, in, in the text, it says that now one of the servants of Saul was there that day. Now, these are key words. Detained before the Lord. Why doesn't it just say that Doeg was there, a servant of Saul? But it says he was there, detained before the Lord. So uh, we don't know for sure, but it seems like for some reason he was before the Lord. I take it to mean that he was probably inside like the holy place where they were making this exchange. Or he was, a, he was privy to what was going on between Ahimelech and David. He, had, he at least saw it if he didn't hear what was going on. And I take it to mean that it's in the providence of God. He was there detained before the Lord. So somehow, this is God's plan. And we're going to see in chapter 2 that Doeg is a scoundrel. He is bloodthirsty, nasty guy. And he betrayed David, and he betrayed Ahimelech. But he's there. But it's, it's interesting that to me that in chapter 22, it is stated that Ahimelech when, when Doeg, the same guy, reports to Saul, Doeg says that Ahimelech inquired before, before the Lord, inquired for David before the Lord. So he somehow he must have seen that the, the priest, Ahimelech, was inquiring or going to God on David's behalf. And Ahimelech himself testifies to it later in, in, before Saul, when Saul comes after him in chapter 22. Yeah, I was... And, and it's not the first time I've inquired before the Lord for David. So why is that a strange thing? And you know, well, why is that detail important? It, it's important to me because it seems to indicate that David wasn't just willy-nilly out on his own doing his own thing. He was still seeking God's will in the midst of fleeing from Saul. He wanted to know what God wanted to do in his life. And in, in, in him like inquired of God for him. He said he feared not only Saul, but he feared God. David feared God. And so then he, uh, he, he has, so he's fleeing for his life. He's fearing God. He's fearing Doeg, uh, or Saul. And Doeg's there, who he knows is a uh, servant of Saul. So he's like, why, why would he not ask? Okay, I've got bread. Now what else do I need to sustain me in this flight 
a defensive weapon. So he says, do you have any, you have any weapons here? you have any weapons here? If you look at verse 8, that's the next text. As David said to Ahimelech, uh, Now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor weapons with me. Again, because the matter is urgent. Uh, you know, okay. Yeah, the matter's urgent, but it's not because he's commissioned. It's because he's scared and he's fleeing. But he says, is there a sword here? And then I love this. And he says, is there a sword under your hand? Which means, do you have it in your control? He says, well, yeah, we, we have one, uh, you know, back there, uh, you know, under a cloth by, by this ephod thing. And, uh, yeah, it happens to be the, the sword of Goliath. The dude you took out in, uh, you know, remember that? In the Valley of Elah, it's a sword for Goliath. It, it, there's, there's none other. I like that part in the text. There's none other. You know what it tells me? And it's important for the next chapter. Nob is not a military outpost. I mean, they're not storing weapons there. They have one sword in the whole town. <laughs> and it's right there in the sanctuary part of the, where they worship. So, okay, yeah. And David says, whoa, uh, that, there's none like it. That's a good one. I like that one. You know, well, I, yeah, he's, he's seen it before. He's, he's good with it. And so here he did. God had graciously provided David with food and, 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 and a weapon, uh, something to defend himself in the difficult situation. And I, I think that as, as he fled from Saul, he could trust in God to provide what he needed in the midst of his trouble. I remember I flew into uh, John Wayne International Airport. It was Orange County, California. Uh, I was going there to interview for optometry school, okay? So I had an interview at the California College, Southern California College of Optometry the next day. And uh, so I, I landed in there, and I was like the last flight in, and I, there was some people that I didn't know that were, I was supposed to have some ride or get somewhere. This is the days we didn't have Uber, you know, you didn't have, li you didn't have all these things. Uh, and so there were some cars sitting out there, but they weren't really distinctly marked, and I'm kind of sitting on a bench waiting for somebody to come up, you know, with the sign that says, Steve Smith, you know, I'm here to pick him up. Uh, but that didn't happen. And so I'm sitting there, well, it's you know, like 10.30 at night, or like quarter to 11, and some random guy comes up, come up to me, and he goes, yeah, you need to ride somewhere, you better, you better uh, say, because we're, you know, everybody's going to be leaving here soon. It's like, whew. Yeah, I need a ride, and I gave him the address, and he took me in a taxi, so he took me to the place. I'm thinking, God provided for me in my ignorance and in my incompetence to, to take care of me. And this is what I see happening in the life of David. God provided what I needed. God provided what David needed when he was fleeing. God provides for our sustenance. He procures whatever defense we need at the time that he sees we need it. And finally, God protects our very life. And there are two facts that, that provide proof of God's protection in, in, in affliction. Uh, first of all, there's a, a troubling predicament. Now, you can't read this text without uh, uh, trying to appreciate the irony of what happens here. So David's fleeing from Saul, and he goes to Nob, and he gets the food, and he gets Goliath's sword. And then the next thing the text says in, in, in verse um, 10 then David arose and fled that day. He's fleeing from Saul. And he went to Achish, 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 the king of Gath. Back your mind up a little bit. Chapter 17. Goliath is a, a warrior from where? From Gath. And so David flees to Achish, the, the Philistine king, one of the five lords of the Philistines, whom are the sworn enemies of Israel, the people that they despised the most, the people that Jonathan went up and whooped up on the Philistines, the people that David had, they had this song about him, and the, he marches into Gath, where Goliath is from, with Goliath's sword. Thinking, oh, these guys will take care of me. Like, they'll protect me. <laughs> like, what's he, what's he smoking? I mean, can you appreciate the desperate nature of David's flight? 
to think that he's going to waltz in with Goliath's sword <laughs> into the very town where Goliath's from among his sworn enemies and find protection. That, that's going to work out well. And, and maybe Akish would be impressed by his betrayal of Saul. Uh, but we, we read in verse 11 that uh, the, the, the king of Gath had some wise serpents, servants. But the servant, servants of Akish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Which is an interesting statement, right? Because who's really the king of the land? I mean, in, in power, Saul. But they're acknowledging that David is really the king. How'd they know that? I, I, I wonder. We aren't told in the text, but it's like they have some, some ears and eyes, places we don't know. Uh, a revelation from God. Somehow they knew this guy is the king. And then they said this. Did they not sing of this one as they danced? Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, who were the ten thousands that he slew? Where were they from, most likely? They were Philistines. And they sang this song. The text says, if you go back to chapter 17, verse 51, 54, right after David slew Goliath. You, you, I hope you get appreciation a little bit for the irony. So it's fitting that David, who defeated Goliath, he should have the sword, Right? But then he waltzes in there, and they were mostly Philistines. So David is being exposed here, right? And he's like, he's exposed, very vulnerable. And then the text says in, in verse uh, 12, And David took these words to heart, and he greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. Well, good for David. I mean, he should have been, he should have been scared, and he, he should have been afraid. And so he was exposed and he took these words to heart and greatly feared the king of, uh, 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 of Gath, or Achish. I found it fascinating that, and you, you can write this down and turn to it later, but in Psalm 56, the title to the psalm is related to David's experience right here in the text of what we're talking about. He took these words to heart. How did he take them to heart? The, the lament of Psalm 56 reveals how David took these things to heart. Okay? And it reveals what was in David's heart, the extent of his fear, and the source of his comfort during the asylum in, in Gath. He was, uh, if you look at verse 13, it says, So he disguised his sanity before them and acted the samely in their hands. So I think he was not only exposed, but he was imprisoned. And here is a, a picture of it in Psalm 56, what is going through his mind. He trusted in the Lord for tranquility in the face of trouble. David instructs and inspires us. So do we have Psalm 56, uh, Psalm 56 verses uh, 3 and 4 and 9 and 10 repeat the same thing. Twice in the same psalm it's repeated. Why? For emphasis. When I am afraid I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God... I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? What, what an encouragement from David in this situation and an instruction for us. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember when Jesus said, don't fear those who can destroy your body, but fear those who can destroy your body and your soul in hell? He's saying, don't, don't fear man, fear God. And that's what he's, trust in him. What can I be afraid? We can be comforted, friends, and confident that God has even the hands of our enemies under his control. You know, I look around the world and I go, whoa, this is a scary place to live right now. God is still on the throne. He's still in charge. It may look bad. It looked bad for David. And I'm not saying that it's not going to get bad. I'm not saying it's not going to get worse. It didn't get a whole lot better for David for a while. Okay? But he, he still said this. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. 
In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So David's prayers, okay. So you got David's prayers working on his behalf. All right. So that was the troubling predicament. Now there's a triumphant protection. In verses 13 through 15, and I want to read verse 13. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. That must have been a sight. I mean, but what he, you know, it's like, hey, give, give the dude credit. He's praying out to the Lord, and then he is actually uh, kind of like, okay, I gotta, I'm going to do something too. Isn't that the way it is with God? It's like, you know, God uses our work and his work for his glory. It, it's rarely, you know, sometimes God just does it all, but Oftentimes he wants us to take part. And so here he is, David's pretending to be insane. So his, 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 his prayers and his play acting combined to accomplish his deliverance. So you have in the text, Akish is scolding his servants. Why are you bringing a madman to me? And then you kind of, I kind of think a little ironically, like, don't I have enough? Maybe he's insinuating they're crazy. You know, maybe the people that are bringing this guy to him are crazy. So don't I have enough of these people, insane people uh, around me? And so then what happens at the end in verse 15 is, do I lack madmen and then shall this one come into my house? And obviously the answer is no. But then we're kind of left in the text. But look at verse 1 of 21. So David departed from there and escaped. Which is exactly what it tells us in the intro, not inspired, the introduction to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 says he was delivered. From the hands of Saul. And Psalm 34 is particularly related to what happened after he was there in Gath under Achish. So Psalm 56 is how he felt about in that situation. Psalm 34 is after that situation and him praising God. He says, you know, in in Psalm 34 that he's going to praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 34. If I get there. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be in my lips. He says, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. The, the righteous will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And why is he saying this? Well, look at verse (laughs) 4. This poor man, uh, uh, he delivered me. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Look at verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. He's talking about the troubles he was in with Achish in Gath. And verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So David's experience, and then his exclamation of that experience of God's provision for, of deliverance for him, they're the pledge that, that God acts in this way towards his people. He, he acts similarly for all believers. It's the foundation of our praise to God is because God is a God that we can trust in trouble. And so we can praise him, even in the midst of, of the trouble that we face. Um, Ralph Davis, in his commentary, put it this way, David does not say, I'm lucky. But God is with me. I ask you this morning, is God with you? Do you understand that God is with you? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're trusting in his death and that alone as the payment for your sin, and you've turned from your sin and trusted in Christ as your Savior, God is with you. And Jesus promised that I will never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Doesn't mean you won't have trouble. David had trouble. Doesn't mean you won't have hardship and heartache. But in the midst of all of it, God is with, you, with us. 
He doesn't always deliver us ultimately. This is not a, this is not a name it, claim it promise that there'll never be problems. God's committed to providing for and protecting the Lord's anointed and the Lord's adopted. David is the Lord's anointed in a unique and special way. But if you're here as a child of God, you are the adopted sons and daughters of God. All right? Just like my friend was kept safe from the Maasai warriors. You know, uh, God keeps us and protects us. It's not a blanket promise of provision and protection and deliverance from any and every troubling situation, but confidence and comfort that God's commitment is to provide for and protect His people who are experiencing trouble. That's, that's His promise, that He's going to be there with us and for us. If you're here this morning and, and, and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope you can be encouraged by this. Calls it, they were called and then be challenged to prioritize compassion. Okay? <laughs> prioritize compassion over ceremony. He provides and he protects for us in trouble. When I am afraid, I will trust in you in God whose word I praise. There's one for you. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will help you. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you, uphold you with my righteous right arm. In everything, he will uphold us. That doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean it won't be tough, but he's there with us and for us. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you what, the greatest deliverance ever brought to us through the person and work of the the anointed King of Israel, Jesus Christ, was that he delivered us from the condemnation of sin. And we must acknowledge that we are messed up people, alienated from God because of our rebellion against God. And then we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus Christ. His death alone is the payment for our sins. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And we can be delivered from that which is the greatest condemnation, the greatest problem, the greatest struggle is our condemnation to an eternity in hell. And God wants us free and delivered and and free from that. And if we put our faith or our trust in Christ, the promise is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead and you will be saved. For the heart we believe resulting in righteousness, with the mouth we confess resulting in salvation. And if you're not there, then this promise of God's protection and provision is not yours. But I want it to be, and it can be, if you'll surrender and trust in Him. And the greatest demonstration of God's provision and protection was for our salvation from that eternal condemnation. And when we take bread and we take juice, we remember what God has done for us to deliver us and to free us. And we give Him praise. We come humbly. We come acknowledging, confessing our sin prior to it. And then we celebrate what God has done for us in Christ. And he is with us. When I am afraid, I will trust in him, in God, whose word I praise. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, you're invited to, uh, as the praise team comes and they'll sing and and play, uh, to make your way to one of the tables where you can take communion. Uh, You can take the bread and the juice. You can take it at the table or you can take it back to your, your, your chair and take it. But I would encourage you to examine your heart. Get your heart right with God. So that you're taking it in a a worthy manner. The scripture warns us, don't take this in an unworthy manner. Don't do just because everybody around you is doing it. Do it because you understand what Christ has done for you. That he is your guide, your God, and your king. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Father, thank you. Thank you for David. Thank you for this frail human being that you used. A man after your own heart, but wasn't perfect. I thank you that you provided for his uh, sustenance. That you procured for him defense. And that you secured his protection, and protected his life. And I pray that you'd help us who know Jesus to understand that you're watching out and caring for us until the day you've chosen to call us home and help us to stand true and firm in it and help us to understand that uh, the, the psalmist, as, as David said it, Lord, um, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you and God whose word I praise. In God, I put my trust I will not be afraid what can man do to me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making that the reality for all who name the name of Jesus, who are your children. We pray in Jesus' name.
say